My name is Kelly Tappenden, the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition and the Kraft Foods Human Nutrition Endowed Professor at the University of Illinois, Urbana. I'm joined today by Dr. Carol Blanchweg, who is professor in the Department of Kinesiology and Nutrition at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And our purpose today is to discuss her VARS award-winning paper. This paper won the 2014 VARS Award of the American Society for Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition, and it's titled Intensive Nutrition in Acute Lung Injury, a Clinical Trial Named Intact. Carol, welcome. Hi. Glad to be here. Can you start by telling us why you conducted this work? What was your motivation? Well, for 16 years, I worked as a clinician at the University of Michigan in the area of critical care nutrition support. And as an investigator, after I got my PhD and I came to the University of Illinois in academics, I always had an interest and I carried on a sub-level of research that was always ongoing with nutrition support. But as a non-physician, the funding was always somewhat spotty and I saw a request for application that came out from the NHLBI and that was looking for an evaluation of what feeding does in patients with pulmonary disease, specifically citing critical care. And I thought, this is it. I've got to do it. So I had always been reading and had some seminal questions in my mind. And I thought, all right, I've got a funding agency that I think can do this for me. And it just sprung me forward to delve into the research, what hadn't been done, and so was born Impact. <laughs> Very good. Sometimes you do follow the funding. Well, you have to. You have to. It's it's reality. I mean, you can't do a trial like this without funding. And without that impetus, I can't imagine that I would have, I I wouldn't have done the study. I needed, it cost a lot of money. So tell us what you did. What was the methodology, your experimental design, et cetera? Okay, so it's a prospective randomized clinical trial, a single center here in Chicago. It was conducted at Rush Medical Center, and I actually reached out to Rush to have it be at their site because they had what was, at least at that time, a fairly unique way that they managed their patients in that they had intensivists over it. So I thought, oh, this is good. There is one group of physicians rather than the way that in many places have it is whoever is the attending on the service manages them when they're in the ICU. And I thought, well, that would be difficult. And I also had Sarah Peterson, who is just about to finish up her PhD with me, but she wasn't my student at the time, but I knew of her and I knew she was a crackerjack and I thought, okay, we could implement this. I reached out to her. Then we had a, actually a couple of physicians that were very supportive in wanting to do this, all of which were essential ingredients for locating at a site like this because I'm based at the university and you need eyes and ears. They have to be more than collaborators. They have to see themselves as very vested in the project. So it's a prospective randomized clinical trial, and what we had set out to do was to randomize adult patients with acute lung injury to receive what we termed intensive medical nutrition therapy, which meant we were going to assess them at the time of their diagnosis of their ALI, what their nutritional status and energy needs were, and then we were going to meet their nutritional requirements from when we enrolled all the way through hospital discharge, and we were going to compare them to the standard care group. 
and standard care was just whatever the physician gave. And we knew historically from data that we had collected at Rush as well as just many publications that have shown anywhere from 40 to 60% of the calories received while in the unit is what standard care delivers because of so many interruptions in life that happens there. So we anticipated that would be their baseline. So they were randomized into one of those groups. The unique aspects of this trial is that we didn't do ICU admission. We did instead the diagnoses so that it made it homogeneous between their patients. So they could have been in the ICU at varying lengths of time, but they didn't have this lung disease that we were looking at until basically within a day or so of getting them in and on the study. And then we followed them all the way out through a hospital discharge of collecting their energy exposure. Basically, all of the studies at the time when the grant was written hadn't explored after they had that small little window of time of either tube feeding or parenteral nutrition exposure. And we said that that really treated nutrition like a drug rather than that it's something that you always need. And so they'd look at these outcomes that would be long-term aspects of their hospitalization, and they'd look at the impact of nutrition. But they had no idea what went on with their nutrition, and we know historically that people generally don't eat well in the hospital. So my argument was everybody became a control group after they were off this intensive nutritional exposure. So that was part of the unique aspect of this design. And we were going to really follow the guidelines with an RD basically in charge. At Rush, they can prescribe the nutritional care. So we thought we're going to do better in the delivery, and we're going to have it all the way through. So we thought we're going to tailor it just how we think they need it, and we're on top of this. We're completely on it, and we're going to do this. So we followed them all the way through, and they got parenteral or enteral nutrition accordingly. Few patients actually received parenteral for a fairly short duration of time. We picked acute lung injury because there is a fair amount that have a degree of malnutrition in it, and we thought that if nutrition was going to make an impact, we would probably see it more so in this group of people. And they have a high acuity rate. They have functional GI tracts, but they usually require nutritional care, and they're in the unit for a prolonged period of time. So we thought it was an ideal group of people to study. So our primary outcome that we powered on was infection, that we thought we'd have fewer infections because we thought nutritional status would make their immunity so they'd be able to fight it. There's nothing novel about that. That's a very indirect endpoint of what nutritional status is doing because, of course, in clinical settings, we don't have a way, really, of looking at changes in nutritional status, particularly in the critically ill. We had secondary endpoints that included complications from parenteral nutrition or from feeding per se, as well as length of stay in the ICU, in the hospital, as well as mortality. That's how the study was designed. So your hypothesis was that the intensive nutrition would be of benefit? Absolutely. Right. We hypothesized that feeding appropriately, optimally, all the way through, from when they were diagnosed through hospital discharge, that this would make it so that they would have a shorter hospital stay, less time on the ventilator, less infections overall, that they would just have a better time course. But tell us what happened. Well, we stopped early. Um, We, of course, had a data safety monitoring committee that looked at our participants after we'd enrolled 25 patients at any given time. I think we originally started off with 50 patients and then we reduced it down because what happened is early on, I want to say by the second year, there started to be trends in mortality rates among the intervention group. So 
number one, you can't unblind. It wasn't significant. And I just thought, well, who knows how these people are playing out. We, you know, when you have small numbers in the trial, it's going to balance out once we get larger numbers up there. I wasn't at all worried. But this went on in year three. And at the end of year four of our recruitment, it reached significance. Because we had higher mortality in this, and it was significant at the 0.02 level, I suspended the trial immediately, and then we delved in to try to pound the data to see if there was any reason why we could describe why this may have happened. Was there something else that was going on? Had they inadvertently been sicker patients? Was there something else about this, the patients in the randomization that had made it so that we had set it up so that we would see this? In other words, we didn't really quite believe that the intervention could have had higher mortality rates. But after we did that, we said, no, we cannot at this point find any reason that we can blame this on other than there was something with the intervention itself that related to the mortality, so we stopped the trial early at 78. Our goal was to have 100 patients in each group, and in fact, we stopped at only 39% recruitment. How do you resolve the results from this trial with other trials that have shown benefit of early enteral nutrients in critically ill patients? Well, there's several things. I've actually, of course, spent a great deal of time on this. And, of course, I'm just finishing my post-hoc paper where we've looked at the data per se. But there's several aspects to our trial that is different. Number one, the patient population that you see during this time interval in the ICU is very different from the populations that we're seeing a decade ago or certainly before 2001 in the way we manage things. But there's been such huge advances in medical management of these people that people that would have died and never basically been seen for any length of time in the ICU now live. So these are by far sicker patients, and they survive the unit. They survive into long stays. So I think many of the earlier trials are not relevant from that perspective alone. Number two, many of the earlier trials were poorly designed, and some of it's just from as science has evolved in our ability to do things, but there was a setup for many forms of bias to have happened. So I look at a lot of the trials and their findings. It's not surprising to me that we would have discrepancies from that. The trials that have come out recently with good things, I can't really think of anything. I can think in the ICU of no difference between the groups. I can think of several of those, but I can't think of any that have seen good things that have happened. And if you have some, I should read them, but I'm not familiar with any that have. I think our trial differed in the way that some did is that we actually achieved, it's hard to compare because most studies don't, give you the kcals per kilo received. Rather, they give you the percentage of estimated needs received, but unfortunately, everybody estimates the needs differently. So there's no real way to compare, especially in this day and age where everybody's obese, so the way you have to do it, you can't go back to the data and, and sort of deduce how many kcals per kilo they received. So I think we may have achieved a higher caloric intake in potentially a sicker patient population than some people, although similar than others, in what we provided to them basically from enrollment on. And I would say that that would be one of the major things. Although it was well within the confines, our overall average intake, if you average overall, was between 20 and 21 kcals per kilo, so far below anything that would be considered excessive calorie infusion. That's very helpful. Well, what going to remain is the fact that we have clinicians at the bedside that are uncertain what to do. For those people, what's your take-home message? 
Well, number one, this is a single center, tiny trial. And while I have beat this thing and the methodology, I have not been criticized. It's been out now online for quite a while. And no one's criticized any of our methodology or come up with any fundamental flaw because, believe me, I looked. This was not an outcome I had anticipated in any way, shape, or form. So I think... We found what we found, and I think it's a robust finding. The question remains, is it a type 1 error? Okay, it could be. Maybe our people that came into this study is just a fluke. You know, for a p-value of less than 0.05, you do 20 trials, you can have a trial that comes up with significant findings where you have 19 that didn't. So it may be that, and we're going back to address that by looking at Actually, Sarah Peterson, one of the co-authors on this, who's my doctoral student, actually has an abstract that's being presented this year orally at the Aspen Conference looking at those patients who qualified and weren't enrolled in INTACT to see whether or not the findings were similar with that group of patients. Now, they're different because they weren't in the clinical trial, but they're similar because we have all the baseline data on them and we followed them throughout their time course. So that will be presented, and they are almost identical to what we saw in intact with as far as the calorie exposure and the out- as calorie exposure went up, their outcomes, their mortality rate was influenced. So it put to bed a little bit that I don't think this was a type 1 error, but you can never rule that out because it was such a small trial. My second take-home message would be I really don't think we need to be aggressive in our nutritional care that we give to normally nourished patients in that first five to seven days of the ICU. I've got some theories and I'm working on it right now as to what I think might go on with excessive nutrition, or not excessive, I've I've even looked at what the threshold might be and that's coming up as to what would be the cake health per kilo received before you'd start to see some complications. I have a theory that during these initial few days, Almost independent of your nutritional status, your body has the capacity to mobilize what you need. And exogenous nutrition at this time adds a load to you that is not needed and basically just makes things worse. And I'm working on this with a fellow over at Rush who's the director of their research project. So I have some thoughts going on. It has been worked on with other people. Vandenberg's group has looked at the role of thyroid and the potential of what feeding may do in these early intervals. It's in my infancy, but it's kind of the direction I'm shooting in. So from that perspective, and I know I'm biased because I've seen this data, I've beat this data, and I believe this data, even though I didn't want to believe it. (laughs) I would be very cautious over aggressive feeding, certainly. And then in non-malnourished, I think I would hold at this point for cautiousness. Now, that's my opinion, so take it from there. Very interesting. I look forward to seeing your future work. That's all the time we have for today. Congratulations on winning the 2014 VARS Award. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. I have enjoyed being part of Aspen for over 30 years. Very good. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.